Totally Football Show. Today, paging Mark Robbins as Man U make their worst start in 29 years. We ask, is Jose more out yo than in yo? And what to make of their West Ham again? Plus, we round up all the rest of the weekend's winners and losers, from the Manuals to the Daniels to a Terriers team rolling over like Spaniels. It's the Totally Football Show. Right, okay, listener, here we are and here you are and let's get this puppy on the road with one eye tentatively on the breaking news feed. It's a big hello to Michael Cox. Hi, James. Daniel Story is also here, fresh back from the Silly Isles. Good morning, James. Uh, you're the author of Gaza in Italy, the story of Paul Gascoigne, three years at Lazio, which is out now in hardback and ebook and audiobook as well, if you like. I'm indeed, yeah. Good. Also here, Matt Davis-Adams, who's the author of A Small Child and also <laughs> fresh from commentating on four games this weekend. Including the big one, Matt, Consadoli Sapporo against Sagan Tosu. Yeah, more woes for Fernando Torres, I'm afraid. Last no minute way. heartbreak for, for his team, conceded a 95th minute penalty. Looks like they might be going down. No way, because that leaves them three points from the bottom of the, of the table. Mm. What happens if you get relegated in Japan? Uh, you go American to... Samoa? Where is it? You... <laughs> no, you go to J2 League, but it's oh. um, so the bottom two places automatically down. Third bottom relegation playoff uh, against a team from from J two league. So Sagan Tosu might end up in that by the looks of things. You also did Vissel Kobe losing at home uh, to Kashima Antlers. Yeah, I can't buy one at the moment. Iniesta's out with a groin injury. Lucas Podolski is not helping them much. Um, yeah, five defeats in a row in the league. Very poor. Right. Okay. Uh, and and Liverpool women against Reading women. Hey, maybe we'll have a word on that uh, a little bit later on. Arsenal flying high in the WSL at the moment. Sure are. Yeah. I see. Oh, you also did Chelsea Liverpool. Probably right. my favourite of the four, to be really? to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Despite that sting in the tail for Chelsea fans. Mm, quite. Yeah. But what a what a magnificent game. I mean, right. really was genuinely superb. Two very different games between these two over the four days. Mm. Wednesday was all about chaos. Saturday was all about quality. Um, but yeah. I, Two fantastic goals. Hazard again, obviously. Uh, him and Sturridge took the headlines, but some real eye-catching performances. David Luiz, I would say, had his best game in years right. for Chelsea. Certainly the best game of his second spell. Mateo Kovacic set up the goal. Fantastic. And it's the first time I've seen Joe Gomez live. Goodness me, what a defender he is. It obviously helps that he's got Van Dijk alongside him, but his reading of the game is absolutely phenomenal. He looks like a, a stick-on for, for England centre-half for years to come based on that. Daniel, you're noted for your multiple conclusions at the end of any 90 minutes of football. Michael, I know you'll have drawn lots from this. Where do you want to start with, I don't know, David Luiz's role in the extraordinary turnaround that Sarri has wrought at Chelsea or maybe the, the incredible Daniel Sturridge equaliser? I actually preferred Hazard's goal to Did Sturridge. You? Sorry to be slightly controversial. Incredible hit from, from Sturridge, but I thought Hazard's... It wasn't just the finish, it was the whole movement. It was the fact that he dragged Alexander out of a position and then they played the combination, which I think is, you know, maybe the best uh, or the most sorry kind of goal we've seen so far from Chelsea. And then the finish was excellent across Allison into the far corner. And um, it feels like there's a bit of a Hazard's enjoying like a wave of popularity, if that makes sense. He's always been a very good player, but I think now people are talking about him going to the next level and um, he's performing consistently. I mean, he's the top top goal scorer in the Premier League now, isn't he? And some brilliant goals as well. So, mm. yeah, I agree with Matt. It was a really good all-round... It was just a good technical game. The quality was very good, with the exception of Liverpool's forwards, who I thought all three that started were really poor. And Salah getting removed, I think, is 
you know, that, that wouldn't have happened last season. Even if he'd been enjoying a poor game, I think that, uh, you know, Klopp would have persisted with him, but it's not quite happening for him at the moment. I think the the reason he didn't have to persist with him is because of because of Daniel Sturridge. He's scored three goals in three games for the first time in two and a half years. Um, there's a really nice little bit of trivia that in February, Sturridge went to Stamford Bridge with West Brom and came off after four minutes with an injury. And that was his last start for West Brom. They went down. He went back to Anfield, was kind of going to be left on the shelf. Saturday's brought on with four minutes to go. Um, and, you know, changes the game with that finish. It was slightly speculative, but it was the shot and an effort of a player who is suddenly confident again. And we know how much Daniel Sturridge is a confidence player. We know how much his injuries have, have brought him down. And I think we also know that he's never going to lead the line at Liverpool as a first-choice striker again. But sometimes that can kind of kind of help his mindset in that he knows what he has to do now. He knows he has to come on and be explosive. And, um, yeah, he's the, he looks like a very, very effective plan B. He's also the kind of player where, because of his injury problems, he's probably better off being a backup and playing 20 minutes every week or sometimes starting in the League Cup. Reminds me a little bit of Michael Owen when he was at Real Madrid and he was desperate to come back and play regular football, but his body couldn't take regular football. So it's probably a good role for Sturridge. I have the same issue. Man, <laughs> um, what noise did you make at the Sturridge goal? Well, there was uh, one of those rare moments in a football ground where there was about a half second pause when the ball hit the net because the the whole stadium collectively inhaled and thought, he's not surely that hasn't gone in yeah. and it was just the most wonderful goal I mean um, my commentary team across the top of the gantry there's, there's four of us for Chelsea TV so there was a bit of Ugh. but uh, we just kind of I, I mean I just appreciated it enjoyed it loved it it was a, a brilliant goal it was the definition of a, of a swept in finish I don't know if I prefer that or Hazard's on Wednesday perfect Hazards on Wednesday was I, I really love that. Yeah. I think with both Hazards goal there was time to see it, it, it happening. It was brilliantly done the execution of the you know and, and the speed with which Kovacic and, and and he combined to sweep it upfield. But you could see it coming with the Sturridge one. There was as you say that second of hang on I need to rewind mentally what's just happened because that came out of nowhere. Yeah, and as Michael says, it was slightly speculative, but the, the technique was absolutely perfect. The commentator on Match of the Day, Steve Wilson, I think it was, said that there's a, there was a ball's width between Kepa's glove and the crossbar, and that's where the ball went in. So it was an absolutely perfectly struck shot. But yeah, it, both teams, fantastic. And really nice to have this game, both games, where we're talking about what happened on the pitch in the match rather than the needle in the dugouts or you know some controversial incident or whatever. And that, that's credit to, to both of the managers who seemed to be very much about the football. And they, it was notable at the end, they had a really warm embrace. They're both just laughing, almost like just thoroughly enjoyed the game. And, you know, as we're going to discuss, that just seems so far away from Mourinho and his desperation to make a, you know, a squabble out of everything. Absolutely. And let's, well, sorry, I was just going to have a quick word about the Sarri revolution, if you like. Sarismo. Uh, Sarismo, yeah. In the Italian dictionary earlier this month. That's right, it's been, it's yeah, yeah. Sib says Maurizio Sarri has taken over a side that's... Uh, Played a totally different style of football for years, signed two players and got them in order almost instantly, compare and contrast, if you will, with that fellow up north, etc. and so on. Um, Kovacic, who I think is, is the unheralded engine of a lot of this, um, but that's just me. But is David Luiz also kind of really important in this, in that he was a player who was born to play this way and just had to rein it in under Conte? Yeah, in terms of the passing, I mean, he was excellent in this game. I must say, I don't think he's had a very good season so far. Really? I think he's looked really poor in a four-man defence until Saturday. So I'm reluctant to go too big on on him being a key part of it I've actually been impressed with Rudiger this season I oh, think he's yeah. been good defensively he made a brilliant last um, goal line clearance and also just his passing and the fact that he's he's come forward on the ball I think a lot of teams in the Premier League 
when they're against a deep defence, they need their defenders to be brave and just commit opponents and open up space. And he's done that very well. So I'd go for Rudiger ahead of Louise at the moment. I think the one thing we can credit Louise for on Saturday is that to me at the start of that game I, I worried about Chelsea's left hand side Hazard has clearly been told that he can stay as high up as the pitch as, as he wants uh, Marcus Alonso it doesn't matter if, if you tell him he can go forward he's going to do it anyway and he's, he's more likely to do that than stay back so there was a clear gap there with Mo Salah on, the, on that wing dipping in uh, and between Jorginho kind of shuttling across and, and David Luiz kind of playing that half left back half centre back role but also stepping forward the ball he kind of had about three or four jobs to do and the worry with David Luiz when he has multiple jobs to do is that the concentration drops and then the mistakes happen with both on the ball and kind of defensive positioning that didn't happen on Saturday and and Mohamed Salah was incredibly frustrated I asked um, Sari uh, when interviewed in post-match about uh, if he was surprised at how quickly the team had adapted to this new style and um, interestingly he said I'm not surprised that the attackers have because it's it's much easier for them to adapt to it, the style that I'm playing. But the defenders have really impressed me because it's much harder for them to take on board what I'm saying, not only having gone from a, a three to a four, but just the way that Sarri ball works defensively is very different to anything they will ever have done. So he was particularly pleased about that. What is um, Mr Sarri like uh, away from the cameras, away from the touchline? Um, he's he's a nice fella. He's having a difficult time making the adjustment from Serie A to the Premier League in terms of the uh, media responsibilities, I think right. it's fair to say. Um, we had 19 interview requests uh, post-match for Saturday's game. Um, and uh, it's not a side of it that he particularly enjoys, I don't think, although interestingly, because Antonio Conte was really, really good at this, treated everybody brilliantly, and Sarri does too, but he would give stock answers, Conte. Whereas Sarri, if you ask him a question, he'll give you what's on his mind about it, which is interesting. But yeah, um, I'm always always the last to get to ask him questions and um, he's usually ready for a fag by that point. I see. <laughs> uh, GSS says, will Guardiola take anything from that game going into next week's matchup with Liverpool? What do you think, Daniel? I don't think he'll necessarily take anything out of this match. I think he's more likely to be focused on last season's games between the two because there's no doubt despite the lead that Manchester City held over Liverpool last season, that Liverpool had their number. I actually, I don't think the gap was, particularly in the Champions League games, was anywhere near as big as the scoreline suggested. But if Liverpool can get Mo Salah firing again, and that is a big if given his current form, I think, for for next week, then Liverpool are the team in the Premier League who will most worry Guardiola, I think. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Let's move on to Man City then, who won. They beat Brighton in much the manner that everybody expected them to. No, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a word for Raheem Sterling again, who um, tweeted at the weekend. Well, th- I've got a stat about him. Th- Only Harry Kane and Mo Salah have been involved in more goals since the start of last season mm. than Raheem Sterling. Where did I get that from? Oh, Daniel Story. <laughs> uh, yeah, 35 in 39 games, goals and assists, <laughs> which um, I really like Sterling. That's slightly misleading in that he is responsible for being the guy who ends the moves. You know, Kevin De Bruyne or David Silva play their part. Leroy Sané plays his part on the wing. Um, Sterling is responsible for making sure he's the one in the six-yard box, with generally Sergio Aguero dropping back to the penalty spot, you know, if the cutback comes that angle. So he's there to finish the ball from four or five yards out, and his England critics might suggest that's the best place for him to be to finish chances. But he's doing it, and um, when he wants a new contract uh, and he wants a pay rise... There are very few arguments against giving him them, I think. Okay. 
Excellent. So you've got Man City and Liverpool level and then Chelsea two points behind and then rounding out the top five, Spurs and Arsenal. Harry Kane becoming the top scorer in the Premier League at the John Smith Stadium, which is nice. What's Sp- uh, Spurs top scorer? No, no the, anybody, just the yeah. top goal scorer at the John Smith oh, Stadium. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, beating Huddersfield 2-0. <laughs> Arsenal, meanwhile, notching up their fifth win in a row in the Premier League, seventh in all competitions and arguably... They've just got even better, no, because Bernd Leno's now finally come in for for Petr Cech. Yeah, about three weeks they reckon Cech's going to be out off in the first half. Um, but yeah, I think Michael must have a direct line to Unai Emery because on Thursday's show he was talking about starting Alex Iwobi because of his crossing ability. And, and lo and behold, where should the, the opening goal come from? That's so true. It will be for Ramsey. I mean, it will be coming on for Ramsey and then setting up the goal. Yeah, which I think is a, is a swap that should happen, really, with those all coming inside. I mean, Ramsey's a better player than Iwobi, but Arsenal find themselves with a lot of players who want to play centrally and not many players who, who want to play out wide, and Iwobi can do that. Um, I didn't think Arsenal were particularly good, actually. I think they could see a lot of chances. Success had that chance where he um, clipped against the outside of the post. And I think, really, it's two games in a row where Arsenal have been... Well, they've conceded more chances than they've created, really, because it was the same situation against Everton. Um, but then again, that's something they didn't do Mark under of Wenger. A champion, isn't it? Well, yeah, they 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 didn't win games under Wenger. They generally won games when they were the better team, right? And they're they're doing more than that now. They're winning when they're not the better team. But I still think there's a lot of improvements to be made, particularly defensively. I think two clean sheets in a row is is hugely flattering for them. Bar humbug. A lot of love for Burnt Leno and his great saves from Dini and Gray. Ozziliga says, can you talk about how Tony Gale uh, referred to our new German keeper as Jay Leno on the NBC broadcast of the game and any other similar gaffes? It's easily done, though, isn't it? When you've got, a, like, I for, for years would refer to Gareth Bale as Christian Bale mm. and required some convincing that they weren't the same person. <laughs> um, do you have any similar mistakes that you make on air? Um, I did once spend uh, a whole first half of a Chelsea Leicester game referring to Le- uh, Leicester midfielder Matt Hammond, uh, who was somebody that I went to uni with. Right. Uh, I just, yeah. Had he coincidentally joined the Leicester team? No, or? it was uh, Dean Hammond Dean was Hammond, the player. Right. Yeah. Okay. I've got a similar thing with uh, West Ham's young uh, defensive midfielder who I keep on referring to as Damien Rice. <laughs> right. Uh, it was a real O oh moment when I realised I was uh, incorrect. What's his run name? Uh, Declan Rice. Cannonball. Right. Life, it taught me to die So it's not hard to fall When you flow like a cannon Those uplifting notes, probably the perfect place for us to turn our thoughts to Man United after this. He lines up to hit it and yes, it's deflected for a corner. That's over 12 corners. Yes. (coughs) No time to take it though. It's finished nil-nil. What a result. Sorry, our fault. You see, with same-game multi-bets from Paddy Power, you can combine multiple selections from one match into one bet, and you'll get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold same-game multi-bet lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match four-fold same-game multi-bets on UK and top European leagues. Max free bet £10 per customer per day. Minimum odds. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Saturday lunchtime, another chapter in the spiralling madness that is this Manchester United season. 
A week that started with that draw at home to promote its side Wolves, then saw the manager publicly declare their biggest signing ever would never be captain again. Then they lost in the League Cup against the Championship side. Then they got hammered 3-1 by a West Ham team doing olays. Olays, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that was quite incredible. I quite like the fact that Ashley Young ended all that by just hacking someone down. I do think that's the kind of thing that supporters want to see, rightly or wrongly. But yeah, they were just outplayed, weren't they, really, from the first minute. I was amazed to see that Mourinho went with three at the back for this one with McTominay in there. Couldn't really see the point of that decision at all. And yeah, there was just nothing from them. You know, they, they the passing was poor. They don't really press like the other top teams in the Premier League. They look very passive, which I think was partly why West Ham could string together that passing move. It just looks shambles at the moment you know and And West Ham no longer looked like a shambles we we probably owe some people apologies there at this London Stadium probably uh, Mark Noble who not you Daniel but others on this show have certainly suggested was no longer fit for purpose but I think he was no longer fit for purpose in a 4-2-3-1 which is where he was playing that the international break came at a perfect time for Pellegrini he gave the squad a three-day extra holiday which was criticised at the time but then basically said to him look you'll be back on the training ground for a week and we're going to work on a a plan to save this season and that plan is changing the midfield shape to to three central midfielders with with, Damien Rice in there with Damien Rice in there um, with uh, Pedro Obiang kind of playing this Kante light role of roaming around the field trying to break up opposition attacks and Mark Noble playing this Pirlo role and and that's what Manuel Pellegrini called it and and actually in his defence Mark Noble because of his demeanour and how he looks and because he's a, a West Ham through and through I think people assume that he's better at the kind of rugged tackling aspects of the game than the passing. I don't actually think that's true. I think he's a better passer than a tackler. Um, and in this formation, he's given the scope to receive the ball to feet when he's playing against a midfield that wasn't really pressing hard enough. He had all the time in the world to pick out passes to any one of three attacking midfielders and, mm-hmm. or strikers, and it, it worked brilliantly. All right, and who is good at the tackling stuff is, is the Diop. Yeah, Diop and Balbuena look a really good partnership. They were, I was impressed with them when I saw them against um, Chelsea last week, but... You know, a lot of the focus for West Ham in terms of the signings obviously been on Felipe Anderson and uh, Jan Molenko. Um, but Balbuena and Diop and Fabianski behind them, three terrific signings who've, who've changed their defence. You know, you think how important Winston Reid's been to West Ham over the last few seasons. He's been out long-term injured. Um, and obviously they had Joe Hart and swapping between him and Adrian last season, which didn't work at all. Mm. They, they look relatively sturdy. I mean, having said that, the first goal was offside and the second one was a deflection. So a bit of fortune about those, but you, you they deserve to win the game. In, in this game yeah. um, it, it's crazy to think that only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about West Ham being pointless still and chances of them in a relegation battle and all that. And it's completely turned around. They, they're now only three points behind Man United, even though they lost their first four games of the season. Is there a danger in assuming all the problems are solved or, or have they genuinely turned that proverbial corner? Well, I think they've they've changed the way that they've played, really. They seem to be kind of sitting deeper and counter-attacking more. And of course, there's, you know, they had some new signings. I mean, Anderson's a very good player. Yarmolenko's a very good player. Take a bit of time to settle in. So maybe we went OTT with their problems. Um, but I think maybe there's a danger we're going OTT with the, you know, the fact they've solved them. I still think there's... Uh, Issues to be solved in, in midfield. Well, in that one game, West Ham scoring 8% of all the Premier League goals they've ever put past Man United. In wow. that one game. Remarkable. Because they did not have a good record, of course, against uh, Man United. They've moved up to 14th now uh, with an unbeaten run that stretches back to the win over Everton, then the home draw with Chelsea, then the 8-0 against Macclesfield 
and now this win here. As for United, as you've no doubt read, it is their worst start in 29 years. They've picked up 10 points from seven games. That's the same as with David Moyes, but I think with worse goal difference. Is that right, Daniel? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay. Uh, for all the many issues, is the defence, as Michael was nodding to there, the biggest problem of all? Yes, probably on the pitch, although I think the biggest individual on-pitch problem is Alexis Sanchez, who was left out the, team, uh, the squad on Saturday um, in a game that Mourinho insisted all week was must-win and they must produce a performance. He left out the highest-paid player in the country, which is as big a statement, I think, as anything he said about Paul Pogba over the last few months. Um, look, Manchester United have obviously got multi-tiered problems. You know, The Glazers are wholly responsible that filters down to Ed Woodward, who has no football action. Sorry, when you say wholly responsible, do you mean... Well, wholly responsible for creating the problems in that they, they, they have leveraged the club and the club has spent more on repaying on debt repayments than it has on players in the last three years. So that's a, a But would you say that United's problem is the fact that they haven't spent enough money on, on players? I think Manchester United's biggest is... problem right now is that they haven't spent as much as Jose Mourinho would like on players right. and, and that they put all their eggs into the basket of giving Mourinho a new contract. Somebody put together a list of teams that Man United have dropped Premier League points against <laughs> since the start of last season. Huddersfield, Stoke, Leicester, Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle, West Brom, Brighton, West Ham and Wolves. Um, most of whom, no, all of whom have spent, in fact, put together, they've probably not spent as much as, mm. as Man United. Surely the the issue isn't the fact that Man United, uh, that uh, Mourinho didn't get the defender that he wanted. Well, there, there are a host of issues, but the strength of Mourinho's management and his personality dictates that if you annoy him, if you don't give him what he wants, and having given him a new contract, it's very silly not to... Um, we know that he will create problems at clubs and that's exactly what he's doing. There's a toxic atmosphere at the club. The reason that they are not winning the title is not because they don't have a defender. The reason that they are playing particularly poorly is because the manager has effectively, I, to my mind, given up on saving the situation and therefore really? he's yeah, he's just entered a period of an extended period of self-preservation and blame deflection. Okay, and, and kind of almost like a tactical dirty protest. Was <laughs> McTominay a step in that direction, a kind of yeah. a two fingers up at the board? Absolutely. At the end of last season, uh, Manchester United had their awards dinner um, and Mourinho found out that, that Scott McTominay was not listed to receive an award and he deliberately took the stage and made him McTominay his first team manager's player of the year that's a calculated act to say this is the only one of all you slugs with any personality <laughs> for want of a better phrase um, because this is what Mourinho does you know at Chelsea in, in 2015 he, he came out and said um, if these players don't play better I'm just going to pick the kids because I can trust them this is just another you know it's a second edition of that and and it, to my mind it only ends one way right of course you were at Chelsea during his last meltdown yeah meltdown. yeah this yeah, is palpable palpable it, discord volume two by the um by the looks of it can you see similar signs oh absolutely yeah and and you know the McTominay thing, he did something similar with um, Herrera against Spurs, didn't he? And, and if you're Eric Bailly on the bench, uh, the two things that Mourinho had in his pomp were his tactical nous and his um, man management skills. And, and both seem to have deserted him. And the man management thing, you can kind of put down to his personality changing, perhaps, and, and the fact that he's never seemed happy about anything. But but the tactical thing... He, we go back to the Chelsea Liverpool game that we started the show with, and then how fresh that felt in every sense, and and he just, he just looks like like yesterday's news, and, and not just Alexis Sanchez. How often last season was he singing the praises of Jesse Lingard? He wasn't even in the squad either. Just yeah. these sort of random decisions. Um, Pogba, oh yeah, he'll definitely start. Well, 
I mean, Pogba's not blameless for what's happening at United either. Apart from the fuss that he's causing off the pitch, he's not exactly producing on it. He was he was subbed here fairly ignominiously. But yeah, Daniel's exactly right. Mourinho started his exit strategy. I've no idea where he goes next, but he's not going to be Man United manager for much longer. A couple of people uh, tweeting in. Aid Reynolds says it's time to get Mark Hughes his chance at Old Trafford. Please, please. I'm definitely not a Saint supporter, says Aids. Adrian Peck says, is there such a thing as a loss of form for managers? Perhaps like a star player that's lost his confidence, Mourinho just needs to seek a loan to a smaller club, have a team built around and rediscover his form and come back. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right. Chris Dealey, meanwhile, saying an Amazon picked City to make the documentary about amateurs. (laughs) So, Matt, you're saying that we're in the end times here. Days or weeks? Um, Probably weeks, but if they lose to Valencia, Valencia. and then, you know, Newcastle get a result at Old Trafford at the weekend, then then it becomes more and more critical. And the Zidane stuff's not going away, is it? And that's that link seems to be getting stronger. And that seems like a very Ed Woodward thing to do. Well, Valencia is next up. Could it be this season's severe? They've just come off their first league win of the season. They've had real problems scoring goals. They have got an interesting squad, but what are their prospects? Let's ask our Spanish football expert, Alvaro Romeo. Well, I think that Valencia will have a chance to win the game. Uh, this weekend, they got the first win of the season after beating Real Sociedad 1-0 away. Probably a morale booster for them. Um, Marcelino rested eight players ahead of the class with Manchester United. And even though uh, Manchester United comes as the favourite to win this game, I think that Valencia can have a good chance, yes. Uh, they have some interesting players in the squad. Batshuayi, we're familiar with. Cherish uh, has presumably out, uh, suspended after that 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 doping uh, issue. Coquelin, Condogbia. Who, who should uh, Man United fans most be afraid of? Well, I think that there are players that perhaps Manchester United fans and. England. Uh, English supporters don't know that well. One of them is Rodrigo Moreno, an excellent striker from Valencia who plays for the Spanish national team. The cousin of Thiago Alcantara, the Bayern de Munich uh, midfielder. And then uh, there is another great, play, uh, another great player in there who is pivotal to Marcelino. Uh, his name is Dani Parejo. And Marcelino has said many times that uh, Valencia's chances of winning games and of playing good football, um, Valencia's chances are all down to Parejo. If he does uh, uh, the playmaking Valencia needs, then Valencia becomes a very competitive squad. Okay. Since we've got you on the line, Alvaro, give us a word on how you think Spurs are going to get on at home to Barcelona. Spurs bottom of the table after conceding two goals to Inter late on in the clash at San Siro and really needing a result here. Are they going to get one? Mm, I think that Tottenham has a good chance and I tell you why. Because Barcelona is not doing well this season. They have many defensive problems. In fact, they have conceded already eight goals in the league, which is a lot considering that this is just started. And on top of that, there is a problem with the replacement of Iniesta. I really think that Barcelona uh, is uh, struggling to to find Messi. uh, And when Messi and Busquets are not on the pitch, like, for example, the other day against um, Athletic de Bilbao, uh, you could see that Barcelona had lost a lot, obviously, uh, at Wembley. uh, Messi and Busquets will feature. But... uh, I don't think that Barcelona is playing in a good football. In fact, the result against PSV in Doven 4-0 was very deceptive. PSV deserved a lot, a lot better. And uh, also Barcelona has some problems in the defence because Umtiti won't be playing, Sergi Roberto won't be playing. They are both out uh, with an injury. And uh, I think that Tottenham has a genuine chance of uh, getting the better of Barcelona. 
Wow. Spurs win. That's what you're calling. Mm, I wouldn't say that much, but I think that uh, it's going to be a nail-beating game, very contested, and I truly believe that uh, Spurs is in a better moment, or uh, yeah, at this at this moment uh, they are in a better condition than Barcelona. But of course, um, perhaps Barcelona's uh, bad start of the season has been all down to the fact that they haven't had very motivating games ahead, and now there is a run of motivating games for Barcelona. They play Spurs, then they play Valencia, then they play Inter Milan, and then they play Real Madrid. So I think that those games are going to be very meaningful to to caliber exactly and to check out exactly what the real level of Barcelona this season is. Strong words there from Talksport International's Alvaro Romeo. What's your prediction? I think it'll be a very boring draw based upon Valencia keep on drawing Mm -hmm. and United look pretty toothless going forward at the moment. And you think there's only one way this is going to end for United? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think if they keep Mourinho on, they risk losing some really good players. I mean, particularly Pogba. I think if if you're choosing between Pogba and Mourinho for the long term, you clearly go for Pogba, don't you? He's he's still a player of tremendous ability, maybe needs more consistency, whereas Mourinho, as Matt says, is incre- increasingly looking like yesterday's man. All right. A couple of weeks ago, we were riding up West Ham. Daniel, is there a danger that Man United could make fools of us in similar fashion in the next few games? Not really, on the basis that the only way that this season can now be successful is if Manchester United match Liverpool's Champions League final appearance last season, I think. You know, they're out of the League Cup, they're not going to win the league even if they finish top four and win the FA Cup, that to me is a, a kind of treading water season. So they basically have all the eggs are now in this Champions League basket. And I don't think they're good enough under this manager to get anywhere near. They didn't look bothered against West Ham, Matt. Potential for disaster against Valencia? Six. Out of ten? Yeah. Right. OK. Well, we'll talk more about Alvaro's other assertion there that Spurs are going to do Barca at Wembley very, very shortly when we uh, have a little look at the other Champions League fixtures. But speaking of Manchester, happy news for supporters in that town is that uh, there are still one or two tickets left for our live show at the Royal Northern College of Music on Friday. You can see me, but more importantly, Rory Smith, James Horncastle and Daniel Storey do live hot chat for you. Or also... This is news. We're giving away £150 worth, £150, Michael, worth of classic football shirts, all uh, very generously provided by our friends at classicfootballshirts.co.uk, manchesterpodcastfestival.com for tickets and just search for Totally Football Live. £150 worth of classic football kit. Would that buy you the kit you'd like? Michael, because some of them are very pricey, no? I'd, I'd like to think so. Do people get to choose their shirts or is it just... Yes, they do. Oh, OK. Well, I think you good. get £150 pounds v- worth of credit at... A voucher kind of That's thing. special, isn't that's it? That's a lot. That's probably... What would you put that towards, Michael? Something really fancy. Some South American shirt that no one could correctly identify. Ooh, Matt. Um, I was on the website actually a couple of weeks ago, hovering over by on a, a an original Sanfrice Hiroshima shirt, but it was one hundred and seventy five pounds, and I thought uh, maybe a touch too much. But uh, I've got some lovely Vevevé Venlo shorts that I got from the clearance section. Some bright yellow uh, shorts of this Dutch team with like eight sponsors all over it. Really garish. My wife loves them. I bet she does. Uh, Daniel. I actually have got from that very fine website an eighty nine ninety Milan home shirt Ooh. with nine on the back. Horrified to say it cost me more than those vouchers will get you. Yeah. But have it framed, yeah. Right. Well, this advertorial was brought to you by <laughs> the donation of some football shirts to our live show. Anyway, uh, many thanks to Classic Football Shirts for that and I hope to see you 
Manchester-based listeners on Friday. After this, Champions League and more top, top stories. Listeners, even your good friends here at the Totally Football Show need to take a break from the football every now and then. And that's why we read The Economist. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can get yourself a free copy of The Economist right now by texting the word football to 78070. The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. Since 1843, it's been covering a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and even sport. For example, there's an article in a recent issue all about the Turkish economy and why foreign funding and bad loans have caused the lira to slide. So not only did I learn that Turkey's currency is called the lira, but the piece has also equipped me with the information I need to tell my Arsenal friends who are fed up with Mesut Ozil why he can't possibly sign for Fenerbahce because they just don't have the spondulies. Yep, you're stuck with him, I'm afraid. Anyway, it's nuggets like that that helps economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them, a world in which facts count more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text FOOTBALL to 78070. Champions League. What are you most looking forward to this midweek, Daniel? Uh, I'm going to United Valencia and Spurs Barcelona oh, okay. this week, so I'm looking forward to If you could pick any fixture, though, from this, this second round of group stages, would those be the ones? I think Manchester United Valencia is the interest game of the week, given the noise surrounding Jose right. Mourinho, yes. right. You, you you're slowing to down to see what's causing the hold-up and the flashing blue lights <laughs> on the side of the, of the motorway. Right, OK. Excellent. Matt, what, what have you got your eclectic eye on? Um, it's a, not particularly eclectic, but I do like the look of Spurs. Barcelona, obviously. Yeah. Barcelona's history at Wembley in this competition it adds a little a little something extra to it. Um, yeah, that's that's the that's the standout. And, and Napoli-Liverpool, I mean, I haven't seen much of Napoli this season did you, under did you see Saturday's game uh, no but I heard it was a, a bit special oh, it was a lovely Michael did you watch saw that? the highlights okay yep. oh dear am I the only person who saw the 90 oops <laughs> sorry about this listeners <laughs> it was fabulous it was such a great game and uh, it started off with a wonderful it was such a well worked move for the uh, Dries Mertens goal which put Napoli ahead at the uh, Allianz Stadium in Turin but then Juve after, after they kind of got to grips with how Napoli was set up just just completely shut down their opponents. I mean, they had some other chances, I guess, Napoli during the game, but it became, they looked so comfortable, uh, Juve. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo's got one or two other issues uh, building uh, off-field off at, at the moment. Um, in a devastating form, setting up all three Juve game, uh, goals. rather. It, it, previously, he'd been played up the middle because that, you know, what he'd evolved into. But uh, Allegri's basically shifted him back out wide on the basis that he's, really good at providing crosses and, and service for a big finisher like Mandzukic up the middle. And it, it just made perfect sense. And as long as he's happy doing it, then... Uh, that's a that's a brave piece of management from, from Allegri, isn't it? Given Ronaldo's yeah. um, histrionics at being shunted out wide. We're still very much in the honeymoon period. The, the only time he looked a little bit tetchy was when Dybala, who's not having the best of seasons, had the chance to pass to him and instead went for a kind of Sturridge-esque ball that fizzed well over the top and was uh, greeted with ironic cheers by the Juve Sport and not by Ronaldo, though, who pointed at his feet very visibly. Anyway, uh, Napoli at the wrong end of a 3-1 scoreline there, but playing some nice football, I personally don't think much of their chances. Liverpool just looked equally comfortable and, and devastating as Juventus do at the moment. I, I'm not wildly optimistic about Napoli's chances here. No, I think Liverpool will play with too much intensity for them. I mean, a draw wouldn't be a bad result for Liverpool having won the opening game, so maybe they won't completely go for it. But 
yeah, I think Liverpool are a better side than Napoli. Mm. The only thing in Napoli's favour is that Liverpool have got Manchester City at the weekend in the in the Premier League, which obviously, having beaten the, the top seed in the group, Klopp might think, have one eye on that. But. Yeah, it's possible. The, the amount of quality they have on the bench, as we saw at the weekend, you know, bringing on Naby Keita off, off the bench, I, I feel they're going to have too much for a Napoli team that only managed a 0-0 draw in their first game. Away at Daniel... Kavina Svedska. Indeed. Excellent. Any other... Uh, there's so many. Well, there's literally 16 matches coming up midweek. I know Chelsea have got uh, Europa League on, on the Thursday against Mol Vidi. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Vidiaton, yes. Is that who they are? Mm. Oh, when did they change their name? Mm. Two years ago, I think. Yeah. Right. Mm. They're sixth in the Hungarian First Division. Do you know how to pronounce the Hungarian First Division, Matt? <laughs> I looked this up last night and I thought I'd stick with the Hungarian First Division. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. <laughs> Nemzeti Bajnogszag. It's almost certainly not how you say it. Um, right, OK. But there's loads of other great games. Bayern, for example, are taking on Ajax. It's a classic European fixture. That is really great, isn't it? That's yeah. very mid-1990s. Nice. Yeah, it's a good week for fixtures, actually. And... Um, you know, they've got this situation where there's, there's two kickoff times now, so you can watch uh, mm. two games back-to-back, whereas previously you had to try and watch all the goals in one 90-minute sitting, but uh, no right. need for that anymore. No, now you can watch one <laughs> game back-to-back and then watch all the rest of the goals. In. OK, great. Yeah, that's the goal show, everyone, that Mike was talking about. <laughs> for 5.30 these days on BT Sport 1. Uh, yeah, so Bayern, did you know that they're, they're no longer top in the Bundesliga? I did not know that. It's not a one-team league, that at all. Borussia Dortmund... <laughs> have moved top, thanks in part to the excellent work of Jaden Sancho, who continues to come off the bench and set up goals. He has now assisted more goals than anyone in Europe's top five leagues this season, Daniel. That's brilliant Des- for England. Despite playing only 124 minutes so far. I wonder if he'll get a call-up on Thursday by Gareth Southgate. You can't really be have doing much more. we got an England more. call-up coming up on Thursday? Squad's announced Thursday, yeah. My yeah. word. It's earlier every year. Uh, Jane Sancho in remarkable form. Borussia Dortmund were coming back from 2-0 down to win 4-2 by Leverkusen at the weekend. And with Bayern Munich losing at Hertha Berlin, that means that Dortmund are top. All right. Oh, did you see the Stuttgart own goal? Yes, the Peter Enkelman. Jenkelman it's not did a Ghostbusters exactly reference. Thing. No. This goes, that, that's classic Damien Rice, Declan Rice, that is. No, it's exactly the same goal as Peter Enkelman uh, Birmingham City scored against Aston Villa or Aston Villa scored against themselves when Peter Enkelman was in goal. Right. So throw in, went straight in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or kind of off the keeper's boot because obviously it has to touch yeah. something. But yeah, great. I mean, it was more the Enkelman you couldn't really tell. This one you could tell. Um, the throw in was really pacey. Far too pacey, but yeah. Okay. Was that the best own goal of the weekend, Matt? It certainly was not. I thought you might come to this. Um, yeah. So in the Women's Super League, Birmingham, who've made a great start to the season, went 2 0 up on Manchester City. Uh, and the opening goal, absolutely spectacular. Abby McManus from inside the opposition half. So I'm not quite sure why she was passing back, very uncity like. Um, I'm not giving her 100% of the blame because Ellie Roebuck, the goalkeeper, completely misreads the bounce. Uh, the ball goes over her head and into the net. But um, it's up there with Lee Dixon for me. Uh, against Coventry, was it, all those years ago? 91? Um, yeah, the fact she was in the opposition half of the field makes it a, a spectacular own goal. But City managed to come back from that. 2-0 down, they won 3-2. They needed that because they went out of the... Champions League to Atletico Madrid in the week and they'd had a bit of an iffy start in the league too. Have they? 
Arsenal, mm. we mentioned before, are top. They're scoring goals, goals, goals. Yeah, they started with a 5-0 win against Liverpool. They've won uh, three from three. Joe Montemuro's first season in charge. He came in November last season. Aussie Where's coach. he from? Uh, he's an Australian. Um, he replaced Pedro Martinez Loza, who'd been in charge for a while. And, and Arsenal finished last season really well. They won the League Cup. They got to the FA Cup final. Uh, and yeah, they, they didn't play this weekend because there's 11 teams in the league. One team sits out every week. But okay. they, they remain top of the table. Uh, elsewhere, Chelsea got their 16, first win. 16 goals they've scored in their three matches so 16 far. 16 in three, yeah. And, yeah. and they've got some some really good attacking talent. Um, Vivian Miedemar particularly is a, a really good player. But they've got lots of quality deep in their squad. Um, Chelsea got their first league win of the season. They're the defending champions, but they've drawn their opening three Nil nil. Mm. Uh, they won eleven nil on aggregate in the Champions League, and they beat Brighton two nil on Sunday. Uh, Frank Kirby, double player of the year, who'd got her fiftieth goal for the club in midweek, scored in this one. And the game that I did was Crisis Club Liverpool losing at home to Reading. Oh, yeah. um, Liverpool's manager Neil Redfern walked out after they lost to Arsenal five nil on the opening day. Apparently not happy with. Um, the budget that he was promised and, and what materialised. So Chris Kirkland is in caretaker charge of that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Was he previously with them? He was assistant to Redfern, yeah. Um, so this was the first game that he'd been in sole charge of. They went down to 10 players. Rhiannon Roberts was sent off, but that was after they'd gone behind to a nice volley from um, from Brooke Chaplin Reading. As I said last time I was on, they'd had a really good season last season and they, they've added um, a bit of quality to their squad too. But, but Liverpool... Looking really undercooked. So it's a long season ahead for them. Crisis. But not as long as for Yeovil. Uh, oh. Last game yesterday, Yeovil went down 2-1 at West Ham. Um, not particularly interesting in and of itself, other than that goal for Yeovil means they've already reached half of their total goals for the whole of last season. Conceded? No, scored. Oh, they scored, really? They scored two last season. They finished with a minus 52 goal difference. They, hang on, sorry. How many goals did they score last season? Two. How many games in the season? Uh, how many was there? About 17, something like that. They right. they drew two. They lost the rest. It, it's a shame for them. They get heavily beaten in a lot of their games. They are they have nowhere near the finances of any of the other clubs. And most of the other clubs were professional already. And the rule for this season is that you have to be a full-time professional club. Mm. So they've got a squad of players who were you know, teachers or accountants or whatever for the last few years. They're only just full-time pros. So they're miles behind everybody else, basically. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Oh, another Champions League fixture that slipped through the net. Man City are at Hoffenheim. Daniel? Yeah, it's one of the early games, I think I'm right in saying, as well. It is, it's Tuesday. Yeah, we can watch it live before the other games begin. Um, Yeah, Hoffenheim's struggling at the moment. I always think it's really weird when a manager is announced to be going to another club so far in advance for, for both clubs, both for Leipzig and for Hoffenheim. And obviously Nagelsmann will leave at the end of the season. And yeah, they've started off pretty badly, I suspect, City will win. All right, but City have not started off well in Europe at all. That that was the story of the, the first game week, was them losing at home to Lyon. Champions League malaise around City tends to be an Etihad thing, doesn't it? They, they're Does generally it? pretty good away. Um, it was it was Leipzig, Nagelsmann's next club that Hoffenheim lost to on Saturday. You wouldn't be surprised to see City win by two or three goals in that game. OK, do you think it's going to be a better week for Premier League sides in Europe than last time? Yes, yeah. If, we, if, if, if you're thinking that Napoli aren't going to be much of a match for Liverpool, then I would say yes. OK. Um, in the Europa League on Thursday, Chelsea, as we mentioned, taking on... Uh, Molvidi, as they're now known. Arsenal are going to go all the way to Carabag. Mm. 
Yeah. It's a big trip. It is a big trip. Celtic are at Red Bull Salzburg. And it's an Austrian opponent for Rangers as well as they take on a rapid Vienna who just sacked their manager after three straight defeats. Ooh, do you want to hear the top of the Scottish Premier League, Daniel? Yes, please. Okay, so in first place, Hearts. Second place, Hibs. Third place, Livingston. Fourth place, Kilmarnock. What's missing from this picture? The big two. Exactly. They're in fifth and sixth. What? How? Come come back to me in May. You think? Yeah. Mm. Well, anyway... Let's enjoy it while it's you know currently going on, and, and that, you can do that by uh, listening to Andrew Slaven and guests as they explain the extraordinary start to the season north of the border in the Totally Scottish Football Show, which will be up late Monday uh, or Tuesday morning, as per your preference. Good, excellent. So much more, listener, if you can stay with us to tell you about. But I think next up, Michael, it's a return to the comforting shores of the Premier League. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Which match are you particularly burning to tell us about? Everton-Fulham was an interesting game. We'll do that one then. Listeners, enough about football. Here's some news about the interweb. Woohoo! ShipStation, America's number one e-commerce shipping software, is now available in the UK. Why is that exciting, you may ask? Well, if you're selling online, you want to get your orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. And that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation imports your online orders from anywhere you sell, from eBay to Amazon and even your own web store. So whether you dispatch one package per day or thousands per week, ShipStation is the shipping software for you. You'll get orders out fast and keep your customers happy. Happy customers mean more orders, and that is good for business. Try ShipStation free for 30 days, plus get a special bonus when you use the promo code SHOW. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in the word SHOW. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code SHOW. ShipStation.com. Get ship done. Everton-Fulham, that stat just got even better. Yeah, another home win for Everton over Fulham. How many, how many does that make in a row now? About 23, I think. I think, I think um, it is, yeah. Yeah, it was an impressive performance from Everton. I mean, Fulham didn't have a shot on target here. They did hit the bar through Sessegnon. Um, it was nice to Gilfie Sigurdsson, scoring a couple of lovely goals. Mm. He's a funny player, Sigurdsson. I, I'm never convinced that he could quite do it for a top side. I don't think he has the pace. I'm not sure he's good at that many things aside from essentially placing the ball very well from about 20, 25 yards out, whether it's a cross or whether it's a shot. But his two goals were were very nice. It's nice to see Theo Walcott looking bright again. He's been quite revitalised, I think, since going back to Everton. He's playing with a lot more freedom, a lot more confidence. I think he is a confidence player. He needs to know that he's starting every week, which wasn't really the case at Arsenal. And um, certainly the attacking three, I think, for Everton look, look really good. Richarlison, Sigurdsson and Walcott. Elsewhere, I think still things are still coming together. Tosson got his first goal. But um, they could be exciting this season, Everton. Edge loading, says Tom Davis, captain of Everton, age 21, never discussed anywhere for an England call-up. Obviously not a headline grabber, but he's a jolly good player. He is, and he's kind of the player that England don't necessarily have. I mean, you look at Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who got some game time in roughly that position at the World Cup. I think Davis is probably as good as Loftus-Cheek, personally. Um, and it's, it's nice to see him captaining the side. I mean, mm. 21 years old, big club like Everton, that's pretty rare these days. Right. Wolves continue to climb 2 0. They won against Saints, fielding their uh, same team, same starting lineup for seventh consecutive match. Meanwhile, Fulham uh, in some trouble down the bottom end. Where, where are they now? Has anyone got a table to hand? Uh, they are 
five points in seven games, two off the bottom. Two off the bottom. They've only won once, haven't they? And that was against Burnley when they were really struggling. They got Arsenal at the weekend, but after that, Cardiff, Bournemouth, Huddersfield. So okay. you'd hope that they would, for their sake, that they would be able to pick up some points Fulham's there. problem is that they well, on Saturday they had the two starting defenders um, from last season in Tim Ree and Dennis Adoy, and they only had the I think they had the second worst defence in the Championship top eight last season. They've kind of done what some promoted clubs do which is buy a variety of names because they spend a lot of money but yeah mainly on strikes I mean they did buy some defenders and Alfie Mawson is injured at the moment but they've got the worst defence in the Premier League and they've conceded the most shots on target and I think they've conceded two or more in six of their seven games which is you know you'll go down if you keep doing that yeah okay Uh, in similar problems down that end of the table are Newcastle where there is talk once again of a consortium maybe possibly led by well led by Peter Kenyon coming in to try and uh, take the club off Mike Ashley's hands. That's uh, four consecutive home defeats in the meantime uh, for Newcastle. And Cardiff, of course, and Neil Warnock asked how Cardiff can sort their defensive worries. How many did Burnley put past them? Was it three? Two. Two. Uh, I haven't a clue, if I'm honest, said Neil. <laughs> refreshing. That's not very Frankness. No. Um, there was somebody who said... Can we just save ourselves the rest of the season, swap Wolves and Man United in the table and call it a day? That, that's possibly fair, is it? Man City and Liverpool neck and neck at the top. Is the bottom three currently... Yeah, I think Cardiff and Huddersfield, most people have to go down. I think the third slot is very open. It's currently Newcastle in there at the moment. I think Fulham will be in the mix as well. Um, maybe Brighton, unless they get more points against teams around them. Um, but yeah, it does look pretty, uh, pretty familiar already, doesn't it? Uh-huh. It certainly does. Southampton in trouble as well, I would I would suggest. We'll carry on doing the shows, though, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's contractual, but uh, <laughs> it was just an interesting point. You know, there's a rush to draw conclusions early on in the season, and so often time makes a fall of our predictions, but in, in this case, maybe it's already taken on a, a shape, or not, I don't know. But the top two are level on points, and I think it could be the first genuine title fight we've seen for probably five years, which would be good, because when you look around Europe, I mean, I think Juve are now six points clear, aren't they? they are, already yeah. in Serie A, PSG, a similar situation, not yet that way in uh, in Germany, but I do think it will or be an exciting Spain, season. Or in Spain, to be mm. fair. But I do think it will be an exciting title fight. Both the Spanish Giants had lost midweek for the first time. They both lost on the same day for ages. And then they both went and drew this weekend where the Barcelona were held by Athletic Bilbao, as Alvaro mentioned, and the Madrid derby finished uh, nil-nil with Gareth Bale picking up an injury so he won't be able to travel with the Madrileños to uh, CSK Moscow for their Champions League a clash. Other exciting European news, as you mentioned, Juve now six points clear after that wonderful performance against Napoli. Roma beat Lazio 3-1. And their derby, terrific game from Milan. Did you catch this till Sunday night? You did, Daniel. Yeah. They well, look because they went into this game without the big signing Higuain up front. Sassuolo, of course, some real problems in the past, but not this time. No, Suso getting his goal. I, I love watching Suso because he's one of those players that sometimes when players leave the Premier League, and, and Alvaro Romero mentioned Rodrigo Moreno, and mm. who's this, another one like that. Marcus Alonso as well. One of those players you you cannot believe that's the same player that you watched in the Premier League and um, he just didn't really get a chance for Liverpool but he is yeah he kind of in Higuain's absence he kind of led the team almost which is amazing from from his Liverpool days well I guess they were left a lot of space by Sassuolo but they really exploited it these long balls to hit hit the Nero Verde on, on the break and Frank Kessier with a, mm-hmm. a couple of goals it just looked really good I mean whether they'll sustain that I don't know possibly the biggest story in Italy though 
Matt, is a, a young man by the name of Christoph Piontek. Are you familiar with him? I'm not, I'm afraid. OK, he is currently the top scorer in any of Europe's top five leagues. Who does he play for? He plays for Genoa. He's got Genoa all the way up to seventh, which is kind of bizarre, but uh, there they are. This weekend they had another big win against Frosinone. Uh, he got a brace. Frosinone, by the way, who have Joel Campbell, yeah, mm-hmm. finally scored their first goal of the season in this match, 2-1. It, it finished. But, yeah, Piontek, basically they picked him up from somewhere in Poland for €4 million Euros in the summer. He, on his debut in the Cup against Lecce, he scored four goals and he basically hasn't stopped since. He's got eight in six in Serie A, because Genoa played a game less than everybody else, 12 in all competitions, and, you know, they're going to make a huge amount of money. He's he's just a really, really clinical striker. He's quite compact, not particularly flashy, extremely good with his head. It's very... Um, oh. Exactly what happened with Lewandowski signing for four million from the Polish league. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. well, they're calling him the new Lewandowski hurriedly in an attempt to drive the price guy high. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere big even in January because uh, Preziosi, the owner of um, Genoa, is uh, not averse to, uh, you know, cashing in. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, enjoy him, Genoa fans, while while you may. Uh, Remember the name, Michael, Christoph Piontek. I shall. Uh, Quick word on, well, France, PSG, they beat... Nice 3-0. Yeah, nothing to see. Let's move on. And the Football League, who's top in the championship? It is West Brom with mm. Big Darren Moore. Yeah, they went away at Preston. Or they're 3-0 up and or got, or got pegged back to 3-2, is that right? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. 3-2 it finished. But Darren Moore, lovely to see him continuing the excellent work he did at the end of last season at the Baggies. A very rare case of a, a caretaker giving the job and, and going on to do well by the looks of things. Yeah, absolutely. And good for West Brom because they've had miserable seasons in the Premier League. You know, they didn't enjoy the Pulis football too much. So sometimes it can be quite nice as a supporter to just watch your team win a few games and they score a ridiculous amount of goals at home. So he probably got quite good value for money for your season ticket at the Hawthorns this year. Very nice. You can bet they'll be featuring in the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker, which will be available on Tuesday, should you wish to know more. Speaking of betting, meantime, before we leave you today on the Totally Football show, let's just get the odds from Paddy Power and producer Ben. Thank you, Jim Bowes. Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. And Lee, let's talk about the Premier League before we go on to the Champions League. Chelsea. They didn't get the win against Liverpool after that fantastic equaliser from Daniel Sturridge. Um, what are their odds for the title now? They've started fantastically. They have, but unfortunately for them, so have Liverpool and Man City to an extent. So they're third in the bet in there. A chunky 10-1. to 1. Man City remain odds on, as they have been since the summer, but at least Chelsea are playing good football this season. All right, well, let's talk about the other end of the table. Uh, Newcastle, yet to win this season. Give me some odds on them getting relegated. Yeah, they're now our third favourites to go down. Cardiff and Huddersfield have both been odds-on to get relegated since the start of the season. But it's only today that Newcastle become the favourites to join them. They're 7-4 to to go down and looking quite good value as well. All right, let's move on to the Champions League then. Big, big game at Wembley. Spurs versus Barcelona. Uh, Can you give me the first goalscorer markets on this, please? Yeah, our favourite here is an Argentinian chap called Lionel Messi at 11-4. to uh, Second favourite, Harry Kane and Suarez, both at 7-1. to uh, Or you can get Son at 13-2. to um, But I think Messi's our favourite for a reason. And let's talk about Man United, Lee. They're home to Valencia. Uh, Mourinho having an absolutely shocking time of it. We'll talk about his odds for getting sacked as well. But I reckon they're not going to score here. What do you guys think? 
We disagree with you. I personally do not. It's nine to two that they do not score against Valencia, but it's hugely odds on they score at least one goal at one to ten, and still odds on they score at least two goals, which is four to six. But that baffles me completely. And if they do score, you have something for us. Yeah, so if you do want to bet on them not scoring, you can uh, have a safety feature here because we've got money back as a free bet if United win. Selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet £10, T and C's apply. And should Man U fail to win here, what's that going to do to Mourinho's odds for staying for the, well, the rest of the week? Let's, let's not look too far ahead. <laughs> yeah, he's the clear favourite to win the sack race. About time he won something. He's odds on to go next. He's 8-11, to 11, and that's ahead of Mark Hughes, who's a lengthy 6-1. to one. Uh, And Sinadine Stan is now odds on to replace him at 8-13. to 13. We think that's going to move quite quickly this week. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Have you got busy week, Matt, doing commentary? Yep, um, some EFL highlights Tuesday, Chelsea Viddy Thursday, oh. uh, Brighton West Ham Friday Ooh. for our friends at TalkSport International, and then Southampton that's a Friday Chelsea game, Sunday. Isn't it? it is, yeah, and, and that's a, a really interesting one, actually. Is, Brighton, obviously, very reliant on the home form, so looking forward to that. Haven't won since they beat Man United. What about you, Daniel? What are you getting up to? Old Trafford and Wembley, Tuesday, Wednesday. Can't that's wait. That's right. You did mention this, of mm. course. Yeah, sorry about that. You weren't listening. That's Michael. Right. No, nothing to speak of, but I think it's a good week in the Champions League. Lots of good games. Right. And of course, you can see all the goals from those games. 5.30 Tuesday and Wednesday on BT Sports 1 with uh, James, Julian, Raphael and myself. We're back on Thursday for your Totally Football show. James is on that as well. And Pat Nevin and Lindsay Hooper making her debut. Hopefully you as well, listener. Until then, from all of us here, keep on keeping on. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.